basket, you've got to just set the bar a bit lower. Just, you know, this is Adam. Let's hope he doesn't suck. You know, something like that. Very good. Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, according to the label on my mic, I'm preaching. So if you see me looking at it, it's just I've forgotten what I'm doing. So it's, it's there as a reminder. Well, if you haven't already, uh, come over with me to 1 Corinthians. Um, for those of you who don't know me, um, it's, it's kind of a favorite book of mine. I'll explain why later on. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through to 15. So I don't have slides, so you'll have to follow along with, with me. I want to ask the question this morning, how are you building? How are you building? Not are you building, how are you building? Here's the thing, as Christians, if you are a Christian, if you have been saved, you have a job to do. Your job is to build the kingdom of God. That's it. Not the whole thing, because you're not God, but you've got a role to play, you've got a part to play. There's a job that you have, there's something that's been assigned to you to do. So the question is not, are you doing it? Well, that's perhaps that is an important question, but more importantly, how are you doing it? Think of it like this, there's... Lots of mechanics out in the world, lots of them. And there are some that really take pride in their work and do a really good job. And then there's others that, yeah, they're, they're not very good. They don't really care so much about what they do, and they don't do a very good job. And there's a difference. It's exactly the same in Christianity. Every single one of us has a job to do. The only thing that distinguishes one from another is the effort that we put in to what we're doing. Ephesians 2.10 says it really clearly. You have been saved by grace. God has given you a job to do. You were, what's, ah, oh, just as I have that verse right in my mind. You were God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Every single one of us has a part to play. But how are you doing it? So I've got three questions within that broader question that I want to ask you. And we're going to work through this passage fairly quickly. It won't be a long sermon. The first question I want to ask you is this. Are you building on the existing foundation? Are you building on the existing foundation? So read from chapter 3, verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise master builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the history of the church in Corinth, this letter was written in about 54 AD. And Paul had actually originally started this church back in 50. So it's been, been a few years now, and he'd, he'd been away from the church for a few years by the time that he wrote this letter. Now, when Paul first got there, he wasn't the first Christian in Corinth. He, seemed, he was probably the, the, the main architect, the, the main founder of the church, but there were already Christians there in Corinth when he got there, the Priscilla and Aquila. And so according to Acts 18, when Paul arrived, he went and worked with that couple who were leather workers as he was. And he worked in their house, he worked in their, their, their business, and, and which enabled him to pay his way into, he didn't just go there and become a freeloader, he went and worked with them, and then he preached in, in whatever time that he had left. And so, 
But during that time, during that 18 months, he established a bit of a foundation. Maybe 50, 60 Christians. I mean, the church wasn't big in the, ancient, in, in the first century. There's, by the end of the first century, there might have only been a few thousand Christians. We're not talking about a big movement here. And so he started with a few different house groups. They didn't have their own building. They didn't have anything like that. They just met in, in houses as they were available. And they have their own sort of groups. They have their own sort of um, life groups, perhaps, if you were for want of a better word. And unfortunately, some of them started to divide. Some of them started to create their own identities. Some said, I follow Apollos. Others said, I follow Paul. But this is what Paul had started. And so he'd been away for a few years now, but of course, the work continued. What Paul had established was now being built upon by somebody else. There were other workers that were in there doing that work on top of, well, ideally on top of what Paul had first established. And so what Paul is saying to certain people in the group, I recognize that you're building on the work, but some of you have actually started to do a new work. You're actually building on a different foundation, not on the one that I laid. And it's not really the work of Christ. So Paul says, let me remind you that you need to come back to the original foundation. The thing we've got to remember is that whatever we do in life, we're building on somebody else's foundation. In every aspect of life. I mean, for all of us, really, the ultimate foundation was the one laid by our parents. Now, this can be positive or negative. This works both ways. Your parents will lay a foundation for your faith, for your general worldview, for how you handle finance. All, so many of the fundamental things about your life really begin with your parents. Now, in some cases, that's a negative. In some cases, you've had very poor foundations that have been laid, and some of those need to be jackhammered and need to be reset. But ideally, you've had a positive foundation that's been laid. But the point is that no matter what you do, you're building on somebody else's work. The world didn't begin when you were born. Now, I know if you're around sort of late teens, early 20s age, you kind of think that that's when the world began, about the time you were born. And as you get older, you start to realize, hey, other people know this stuff that I know as well. This is really quite remarkable. It's this old story. I don't know, how, I don't know if it's true or not. It's just a good story, though. You've got this young kid that's talking to his granddad, and he says, you know, granddad, our generation is just so much better than yours. You know, just so, so much better. You know, we've got smartphones, we've got laptops, we've got Wi-Fi, we've got all this great technology. You know, what did you guys have? His granddad says, you're right, son. Yeah, you're right. We, we didn't have any of that stuff. That's why we invented it. I can't wait to be a granddad just for that. <laughs> just for that. But you have to recognize that what you're building is building on somebody else's labor. And that you aren't the first person to work on it, and you won't be the last. So it's not even just about building on the right foundation. It's actually about building work that somebody else can build upon later on. Take this church, for example. You might be new to the church. You may not know the history of it. Um, so you, you know Jesse and Geordie, your pastors. You've got Ella up there and singing uh, during the worship. This church actually goes back to their grandparents. When I say Jesse and Ellis, and that, that's what I mean by that. This church actually goes back to a time before even I was born. 
So Rob and Liz Thornton took over Penrith Christian Fellowship Centre, became pastors up there, and they were building on the work of Gordon Gibbs, but we'll start with Rob and Liz just as a, for the sake of having a starting point. So what is now Imaginations Church? And so they took over that church, and that was a big church, it was a flourishing church, and continues to be. And as years went on, they sent out Ian and Joan Wood to the Hawkesbury to plant a church out there. Some years later, they sent out a young couple, Eric and Lynn Rogovine, to plant a church in Emu Plains, joined by a lovely young couple at the time, Wayne and Cheryl. And I've seen you, not lovely now, I've just saying you're a bit older than what you were back in the time when you started. And they started the church over there called Riverlands Church, Riverlands Christian Life Centre at the time, over at Emu Plains. Come to 1999, I joined that church as a 19-year-old. I got saved and radically transformed and I met a young girl by the name of Rachel Martin. We got married and the rest is history. Then as the years went on, um, Hawkesbury Church was taken over by, well, Ian and Joan retired and then Rick and Naomi went and took over Hawkesbury Church. Then as the years went on, Eric and Lynn moved on and that church became part of this church became Strong Nations Church. So what is it, whatever is happening here now in this church, it has this foundation that goes back decades and decades ago, all back to the time even before I was born. We're not doing anything new here. We're only further building and establishing what was first laid all those years ago. And if we forget that, we start to run into trouble. Because the minute you forget that, you start to become arrogant. You, feel like you start to think like you're the only person that has ever done any of this before. You, you fail to understand where you've come from. Now, of course, we trace all of that work back to Christ. Christ on the cross, laying the ultimate foundation for where we are today. But the point is very simple. We have to understand where we've come from. We have to understand what the foundation is to understand what it is that we're building now but also to understand what we're laying for the next generation. This was just saying before, you've got all these young kids going out to kids' church, and he's exactly right. Ten years from now, they'll be the ones that are doing all this. So what sort of a foundation are we laying now for those kids to be able to build on later on? Because the work doesn't stop with us. So are you building on, on the existing foundation? The second question is this. What materials are you using? Pick it up in verse 12. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. One of the problems that was happening in Corinth was... After Paul had left, they got a new preacher came in, a guy by the name of Apollos. Now, Apollos was just phenomenally good. I, I don't know who the, like, the latest young preachers are or the youth preachers are. I, I don't know who they are. I've been out of youth for a very long time now. It, well, no, I, I've just, I'm getting old, man. I've been 10 years since I've been in youth. You know, I appreciate the compliment, but you know, it's, it's just not the case anymore, you know? But you've got these, this young, charismatic guy, this Apollos, who's been trained in a city which specializes in training orators. I mean, this is a guy who was just captivating when he spoke. He, and he wasn't just a good speaker. He'd studied 
he'd studied the law, he'd studied scripture, he knew good, he knew wisdom, he, he, he knew his stuff. So he had it both. Like he knew what he was talking about and he knew how to say it as well. You know, we sometimes get one or the other, you know, you get someone that knows what they're talking about, but you kind of don't want to listen to because it's just so boring. And you get others that are really, really cool to listen to, but they don't really have much to say. He had both. He had all of it. The problem in Corinth was that they were looking at Apollos and they were going, this guy is so much better than Paul because look at the way he says it. He had the same wisdom that Paul had. In fact, he probably had less. I mean, Paul was a much better educated apostle. What they wanted was the show. What they wanted was the form. They just wanted the glitz, the glamour, the lights, the, all the other stuff. So Paul says, you've got to be really careful about what you build with. Are you building with gold, silver, costly stones, or wood, hay, and straw? And it's a pretty clear contrast between the two. Wood, hay, and straw. I mean, how hard is it to find wood? How hard is it to find grass? I can, it's a whole lot of it just out here. And alongside of it, there's a whole lot of twigs as well. There's a lot of sticks, there's trees out there. I mean, if you could walk just around this building and gather up enough sticks and grass to build some sort of structure, if you really wanted to, without any effort. Gold, silver, and costly stones, on the other hand, that could cost you anything. It could, could cost you everything. You could spend your whole life looking for that stuff and only find the smallest amount. And it might have cost you everything. Um, there's a cool place down the south coast. If you're ever heading down to sort of Batemans Bay area, go and visit a little town called Mogo. It's an old gold mining town. It's a really cool little place, and you can go through and you can still see all of the old gold mining equipment and everything, and a lot of it all still works. It's a really cool place. But what's really fascinating about it is the story of that gold rush, where people have found gold, and this is going back to the 1800s, and people from all over the world came flooding to these cities, came places like Mogo, places that even we haven't heard of, let alone, you know, 150 years ago. Sold everything they had to come just in the hope of finding that piece of gold that was going to change their lives. I mean, the reality was, if you were entrepreneurial, you wouldn't go down to look for gold. You'd go down there to sell shovels, beer, and just like the gold pans, because that's where you're going to make your money. You're not going to make it in actually looking for the gold, right? And all the business people are kind of nodding along going, yeah, that's, that's a good business brain. I came up with that myself. <laughs> but they gave up everything just to find that small piece of gold. And some of them got lucky. Paul's saying here, the kind of material that God wants to build with is the stuff that costs us everything. Because any person can go out and pick up twigs. Any person can go out and get, just get some grass. And go back 2,000 years where the majority of structures that people lived in were made of those materials. Anything that was cheap, easy to find, easy to gather together. But the stuff that costs, it might only be this big, but its worth is immeasurable. Paul says, that's the stuff we need to be building with. So the question then becomes, in your ministry, the stuff that you're building with, what did it cost you? What was it worth to get? 
I have to admit, it does bother me a little bit as an academic, as somebody who teaches this stuff for a living. It does bother me a little bit when, you know, Bible studies and sermons were kind of whatever Google search we did the night before. Just whatever pieces of information we can kind of pull together just at the last minute. Oh, I better think of something to say. What does Google have to tell me about the Bible? That's a scary starting place. Let's just say that to be sure. What is the cost in us? Um, I made the joke before about Corinthians. So I've been studying Corinthians now for 12 years. Um, started back in my degree, did a PhD with it. I'm writing my second book now, which is largely dealing with Corinthians. I spent three years of my PhD just studying 1 Corinthians 1 to 4, just those four chapters. I was glad to have the doctorate finished just to see what happened in chapter 5. <laughs> Turns out it's a guy in incest. Let's get back to chapter 4. Um, I've been to Corinth five times now. I've literally given lectures on Corinthians in the city of Corinth, standing on the spot where the passage I was looking at took place. Um, on my shelf at the moment, I've got over 100 academic texts on Corinthians, both in English and German. And I don't say that to boast in any way. I simply say that to say that in all of that, I can honestly say to you, I still don't feel like I've even scratched the surface on just First and Second Corinthians. Because there is so much in this text. There's so much in this Word of God. I'll spend until eternity just studying Corinthians and still not feel like I've fully grasped it. I'll do other things just to sort of, you know, see what else is Paul's doing. But it'll always come back to Corinthians. And I say that to say that the riches of God's Word will take you a lifetime to get to the bottom of and you'll never even get close to it. That's what it's got to cost you. And at the end of all of that, you might only have one thing to say, one thing to contribute. At the end of the, all of that, you might only have one block to contribute to the structure. But it's something that the next generation is going to build on. And it's worth so much more than all of the other stuff you might have just gathered through whatever. So what are you building with? What sort of materials? What do they cost you? Last question. Oh, important point there too. It says that your work's going to be tested. The thing about gold, silver, costly stones is that you put, a, put them through a fire, they get purified. You put wood, hay, straw through a fire, well, we've seen what happens. We're literally in the smoke of it right now. It won't last. When I was doing youth ministry, I did the youth ministry for 10 years at Riverlands. And um, again, I've been out of it for a long time now, but certainly for those 10 years, the, the whole thing was about putting on the big, big show, putting on the big performance, right? It was all about having the best entertaining service, best band, best lights. And if you're a really impressive youth ministry, if you were one of the ones that really hit your heights, you'd have your own conference. You had a conference. People from other churches would come to your youth group because yours was so awesome that you could put on a conference. That was the goal. But what it ultimately boiled down to was, can you just entertain those kids? I was so blessed that I had a mentor that came alongside me right in those early days, a guy by the name of Rick Burrell, you might have heard of him. And he came along to me and he said, you know what, all that stuff, it's rubbish. Forget about it, it's rubbish. Just do discipleship. 
doesn't matter about the size of the youth group. doesn't matter if you've got five kids. Love them, look after them, raise them. Just do that and do that well. And so I did. And I'm grateful every day that I had him coming alongside me telling me that. Because I look at those youth ministries now, those ones, these great big youth ministries and these fantastic things, that they were the whole big show for that period that I was doing youth ministry. I don't know where they are anymore. Where are they? Some of them might still be around, but not many of them. And I've actually met a lot of those kids that came out of those ministries, or you might have heard about them, they've become atheists since then. Because when they went to look for the deeper truths, they didn't have anything. It was just come back to the show, come back to the performance. We'll have better lights next week. That'll fix your problems. They've become some pretty effective atheists now as a result of that. You might have met some of them as well. Now, I'm not saying we got it all right, but I can tell you that those kids now are still serving God. That small group we had are still going on serving God, doing their thing. Because it's about building for quality. It's about putting the cost in. I think you get the point. Finally, last question. Will it survive? Will it survive? Verse 14. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive an award, a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. God wants you to build something with eternal significance. That's it. It might only be one single thing. It might be one changed life. It might be thousands of changed lives. Whatever it is. What God wants you to do is to build with everlasting significance. So will your work survive? What's interesting about what he says here is that the builder himself will be saved. They'll actually get through the flame. But everything that person's life was spent doing, it's all gone. All gone. It was just fuel for the fire. It wasn't even necessarily that it was evil. It wasn't that it was, you know, doing the work of the devil. It's just that it didn't make any impact in eternity. It was a lot of fluff. So whatever it is that you're doing now, are you building on the foundation? Are you building with the right materials? And are you building to last for eternity? And whatever that looks like for you, the challenge is simple. Go and do it. Father, thank you that we can be here. Not just to come into your presence and be here in this fellowship with our brothers and our sisters and have church and all of these wonderful blessings that we have to be part of this. But that you've actually, through your grace given us a job to do. You could have done all of this yourself, but you chose to partner with us. You chose to give us the opportunity to share in your work. 
This isn't a burden. This is what we were created for. This is what we were born to do. This is what you've gifted us for. And so for every single one of us, Lord, as we come to serve you, Father, we want to do the sort of work that will last forever. That when it's tested, we'll only be purified. It might be small work, it might be a big work, whatever. It's, the size is not the point. The point is that it's work that will last forever. It's work that the next generation can come along and build on and be empowered by and be set up for to do their own work. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your incredible calling that we can do this task. And so for whatever we do, in all of our efforts, in all of our building, in all of our striving, may all of it be to give back to you, to glorify you and you alone, so that your kingdom would be built and that your name would be made famous in this world. In your incredible name. Amen.